everyone. Welcome to episode 32 of the Real Food Mamas podcast. I'm Aglaia Jacob, a real food registered dietitian and mom, and I'm also the author of the book and cookbook, Digestive Health with Real Food. I am passionate about digestive health, but I'm also an expert at helping people change their lives from the inside out, starting with real food. I share a lot of free info as well as details about my online private coaching programs at radicatanutrition.com. That's R-A-D-I-C-A-T-A nutrition.com. And I just wanted to let you know that I got back into blogging more consistently recently. So check out my latest blog post by going to radicatanutrition.com and then clicking on the blog tab. My co-host uh, isn't here today, but let's send some love her way. My co-host, Stephanie Granke, is another amazing real food registered dietitian and mom. She's an expert at helping women balance their hormones naturally, and she's passionate about everything related to natural fertility, pregnancy, the postpartum period, and babies. You can find more about her and her services at rockyourhormones.com. And don't forget to check out her new program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby, which is a virtual pregnancy handbook she created with the co-creator of Whole30, Melissa Hartwig. Today we have a special guest to talk about HPA axis dysregulation. So that may sound like a sci-fi word, but it's actually just a common, um, this is what we commonly refer to as adrenal fatigue. So many people are suffering from it. And although most conventional doctors still don't recognize this condition, there is more and more science to support ex its existence. And I know for sure that it exists because I struggled with it in, their, in the past and still have to be careful to this day because it's so easy to slide back into old patterns that can deplete my adrenals and leave me feeling uh, tired and just not like myself. So today we'll talk a bit more about what it is, how to recognize if you have it. And actually, I think it might be difficult to find a mom that does not have any degree of adrenal fatigue. So stay tuned to, to see how... Um, adrenal fatigue could impact your life and what you could do to improve and better support your adrenal so that you can feel better. We'll also learn about special tips for pregnancy, the postpartum period, breastfeeding moms and, and moms of older, older kids too. So we've got all of you covered with a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Now, just maybe a quick update. Um, well, there hasn't been much new. Actually, we just recorded episode 31 with uh, Stephanie just an hour ago. So there hasn't been much new uh, since then. But um, I just wanted to let you know that I am working on creating an online course about digestive health. As you know, I wrote my book, Digestive Health with Real Food. And now I'm I know that for some people it can be overwhelming or it's just, you know, not the same with a book. So I'm trying to get, uh, create an online course with a lot more information, make it really practical, fun and applicable and build a community around it because digestive health is so important, especially for moms, moms to be and our little ones because health really start in the gut. Uh, so stay tuned for that or go to radicatinutrition.com for more updates. 
All right, so our guest today is Lara Schoenfeld. Lara Schoenfeld is a registered dietitian trained in functional medical nutrition therapy. She helps her clients identify and implement diet and lifestyle changes that will allow them to live their healthiest, fittest, symptom-free life without being consumed by thoughts of food and exercise. She loves hiking with her dog, beach trips, live music, and heavy weight training. Find her at ancestralizeme.com. So without further ado, let's get started with the interview. All right. So welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Agley. <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned, uh, the topic of today's interview is HPA axis dysfunction, HPA axis maladaptation, or more commonly, adrenal fatigue. So can you tell us a bit more about what it is and what it means for us? Yeah, well, so I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of the term adrenal fatigue if they're just doing a Google search for some of their symptoms that they're experiencing, things like fatigue or even insomnia or um, just hormonal imbalances, maybe either anxiety or depression, different types of mood disorders. There's dozens of symptoms that can be related to the HPA axis. And um, we... We talk about adrenal fatigue because it's a common term for the condition, but it's actually a very inaccurate term for what is actually going on. So I'll just do a very brief overview of what the HPA axis is. Um, so when we say the HPA axis, that is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And the hypothalamus is in your brain. It's a control center for a lot of the different hormones that your body puts out. And then the pituitary is sort of an in-between um, organ that relays the message from the hypothalamus to whatever organ that needs to be stimulated. So the adrenals are just one of the organs that are stimulated by the HP um, axis. The other ones that are stimulated are uh, include the thyroid, um, also the ovaries for women and testes for men. So there's a lot of different hormonal control that comes from the hypothalamus directing the pituitary to release certain hormones. And we talk about the HPA axis because this is the one that primarily deals with our stress response. So if you think about the different hormones that get released during stress, those are things like cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, um, all of these things that get released either in short-term stress. So, you know, if you're driving your car and someone slams on their brake in front of you and you get kind of that like jumpy feeling or your heart feels like it gets a little fluttery, that's an um, usually an adrenaline response for something that short. Or if you think about more long-term stress, things like having to wake up every night in the middle of the night to feed your baby or um, mm -hmm. having a job that your boss puts a lot of pressure on you to keep up with certain demands. So um, that would be more of a long-term stressor and that causes elevated cortisol in the beginning when people are first experiencing those stressors. And so there are some situations where stress can be very severe. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of something like PTSD, which is a extreme stress situation, which definitely there's research to show that that affects the functioning of the HP axis. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot less level or a, a lower level of stress that can cause HPA axis dysregulation. And you don't have to have something super traumatic happen. So, you know, if we're talking to a new mother, having a baby is a very stressful event. And it's, it's very exciting and very happy. And it's a little scary. And there's a lot of different emotions that you're experiencing when you have either a 
your first baby or, you know, a new baby in general, even if you've already had children. Um, and there's a lot of things that change in your life. So maybe you're waking up in the middle of the night to feed them or, um, you know, you're, you're just breastfeeding. So you're needing to eat more to deal with the breastfeeding. And there's a lot of different things that can cause women who are new moms to be under a lot of stress when they're, um, in the postpartum period. So that HPA axis is helping your body cope with the stress. And it's normal to have a little bit of stress, but I think in our current society, we're under a lot more stress than we probably should be, especially new moms. They don't really get the support that they need, especially in America. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that might be causing more stress than a person who lived 200 years ago would be experiencing with a new baby. So, um, And I can talk a little bit about that, but I just wanted to give a quick overview of what the HPA axis is. So when we're talking about it, you guys aren't sitting there wondering like, what the heck <laughs> are they talking about? Yes, thank you for so much for that explanation. So that 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 makes things a lot more uh, clear to all of us. And so now that we know how that works a little bit, um, can you tell us a bit more about the common signs and symptoms of an HPA axis dysfunction or adrenal fatigue? Yeah, so HPA axis dysfunction can cause a lot of different symptoms. Um, the ones that I mentioned before that are some of the more common ones are things like fatigue. So you wake up feeling tired or you're just tired throughout the day. Um, insomnia, so not being able to fall asleep at night or waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back asleep. Having symptoms like anxiety, so Things that would normally be a little bit stressful might stress you out more or you feel more of a physical response to that stress. Um, depression can also be a sign of HPA axis dysregulation. Um, hormonal imbalances. So I know when you're postpartum, you're not necessarily experiencing this, but a lot of women who are menstruating will get menstrual irregularity if they're having HPA axis dysfunction. Um, a lot of conditions are related to HPA axis dysfunction, even if they're not directly caused by it or, you know, they're just exacerbated by it. So things like autoimmune disease, um, inflammation, uh, thyroid disease, so especially hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's is also, you know, both thyroid and autoimmune. So it can be affected by HPA axis dysregulation. Um, gastrointestinal symptoms. So, the stress hormones can affect how well you digest and process your food, and it can also affect the release of stomach acid. So I'm sure a lot of people have experienced indigestion or changes in their bowel movements when they are feeling anxious or, you know, if there's something super stressful happening, they'll either get constipated or have loose stools or even diarrhea. And um, so that chronically can cause changes to the uh, the bowel transit time. It can cause changes to the gut micro microbiome if you are exposed to chronic stress for a long time. Um, it, it is related to certain diseases like IBS and IBD. So, you know, giving a list of what the symptoms are, it's almost <laughs> like you have to ask me what isn't related to uh-huh. HPA regulation. And unfortunately with HPAD, it's one of those things that it's hard to know if it's a cause or effect. So is it the stress that's causing the symptoms or is it something like an autoimmune disease that develops that you get all this inflammation happening and then the body starts putting out a bunch of cortisol to deal with the inflammation because cortisol is an anti-inflammatory. So um, the HPA axis is definitely involved in most disease processes and there's a lot of research for some diseases being primarily caused by HPA axis dysregulation. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like a chicken or egg thing. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what comes first. <laughs> it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. But the good news, I think, is that when you do try to do things to improve the HPA axis dysfunction, to make it function better, other symptoms can improve. So that's yeah. the good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And ironically, a lot of the patients that I work with, they don't realize that some of the lifestyle choices that they make are making the HPA axis dysfunctional. So, um, and we can definitely talk about this, but there's a few major lifestyle choices that are going to affect HPA axis functioning. Um, certainly the diet that you choose will affect it. The amount of sleep you get, your circadian rhythm. So a circadian rhythm is basically your body's, um, your body's light dark cycle and it, the fluctuations that come from daytime and nighttime on a 24 hour cycle. Um, exercise can affect your HPA axis, either too little or too much. I see a lot of clients with too much exercise because I work Mm. mostly with people who are on the paleo diet. Maybe they're doing CrossFit or, you know, lots of boot camp classes or spinning or whatever type of exercise they're doing. They want to be healthy and they're exercising far too much and that causes HPA axis dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, other things include, like I said before, inflammation. If somebody's having a lot of inflammation going on, that can cause HPA axis dysregulation. Uh, blood sugar control is a huge one as well because our, our cortisol does help keep our blood sugar steady. So if your blood sugar is going all over the place, that can cause HPA axis dysregulation as well. So there's a lot of things from a lifestyle perspective that can affect HPA axis dysfunction. And um, when I work with clients, we really focus on all of them simultaneously because, you know, as, as if you go into the research, you'll see that things like blood sugar control, that can be negatively impacted by poor sleep or, you know, if your diet isn't looking so good um, or if you're not exercising enough. So there's a lot of different factors that can be dealt with to get people feeling much better and, and dealing with the stress in their lives better since, you know, we all have stress. There's no way to avoid it, <laughs> um, especially when you're a new mom. I would never expect a new mom to be just you know, hanging out, not doing anything, not being <laughs> under any stress. Um, but there are ways to make the stress that you're under less of a physical problem for your body. Um, as I'm sure a lot of women have experienced after their first child or after having a child in general, they can experience a lot of symptoms that they didn't have before having their child. And it's not, it's not normal for moms to be feeling terrible. I mean, yes, you'll be tired. Yes, you'll be stressed. But <laughs> You shouldn't feel like you can't get out of bed or, um, you know, that you're depressed and not being able to enjoy your new baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, listening to all of that, uh, I wonder, do you honestly think that there are any moms out there that are not suffering from some degree of adrenal fatigue at some point? Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I think it's very difficult for women in this in this day and age to not mm-hmm. be subject to it. Um Some women are lucky they have very supportive partners that perhaps they don't have to work and they just have to focus on their child and maybe they have a a family member in the area that can help Mm -hmm. with them. Um, You know, maybe their mom comes over to babysit once in a while so they can get some chores done. Um, Maybe their baby is very good at sleeping through the night and they're not getting woken up in the middle of the night every night. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can go really well with a new baby that all have to line up for you to not have any sort of disruption Mm -hmm. to your HPA axis function. I'd say it's unlikely that most women have every single piece of the puzzle perfectly fit when they're 
having a new baby. I mean, even if you just think of the stress of caring for a new child, if you haven't had a baby before, um, and I, I'm not a mom, so I don't want to pretend like I know how stressful <laughs> that would be, but just, you know, even if you're just learning how to be a mom, that's, that's stressful, stressful. Um, stress is really just a change to homeostasis and homeostasis is basically the body's experience of things being pretty stable. And when you introduce a baby into things, you're just not going to have that stability that you used to have. So even if everything's going super well, there's probably still some level of stress that comes from having that new baby. Yes, definitely. And even before the baby arrives during the, the, the pregnancy can be a big stress for the body physically and emotionally. And even when kids are older, uh, I mean, uh, I think that uh, I think that the only constant with kids and in life really is that things are always changing. Yeah. And when, when we think that we get the hang of one thing, then we need to, things change and we need to d adapt again. And that's, that's stressful that mm -hmm. life is stressful and uh, having a family and, and kids and little ones to care for is yeah. no exception. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like I said, it's not reasonable to expect no stress in someone's life. Mm -hmm. And I don't want anyone out there to feel guilty that they're feeling stress from having a family. Um, being stressed with a family, that's totally normal. I mean, there's really not many people that wouldn't experience stress with children or, mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy, all of that. I think the main problem that happens is the fact that we're adding that stress onto other things that are not natural stress. So, you know, when I talked about the circadian rhythm entrainment, that is very much affected by light exposure during the day and also in mm -hmm. the evening. So if you think about our our normal light exposure in this day and age, a lot of people are spending most of their time inside during the day. And then they're using electronic devices at night that emit artificial light. So you're getting lots of light at night that wouldn't normally be happening. And you're not getting enough light during the day because you're not getting outside. And so that's just one example of a major stressor to your body that disrupts your HPA axis function. And even if Even if you're experiencing some stress from a new baby, that would be normal if you add that to the stress of having um, in inappropriate circadian rhythms, then you're just am amplifying the effects of the, um, of the stress of the new child. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of different things that modern women are exposed to or, you know, lifestyle choices that they make that are really just making that stress so much worse. And it's something that Again, we're not expecting to see stress go away entirely, but giving people ideas about how to reduce the physical stressors that are in our modern lifestyles and then also tools for dealing with stress appropriately so that they're not having any sort of major HPA axis dysfunction. Mm -hmm. I love that. So we can, there are things that we have control over. And that's really the things that we should focus on. And you mentioned, you know, maybe going out in the sun in the middle of the day, or just get get some natural light, even if the sun is not out that day, and trying to turn off electronic devices at night is one simple change that can make a big difference in reducing the stress levels in our body. Do you have any other examples that might be uh, easy to implement and that could have a big impact on on our HPA axis function. Yeah. So one of the things I see in my postpartum moms the most that really affects their HPA axis is under eating. So mm -hmm. 
I think there's a lot of talk about eating more when women are pregnant. Um, I don't think a lot of women undereat when they're pregnant. I mean, I've definitely had clients that do, but I think there's a lot more understanding of needing more calories when you're pregnant because it makes sense. You're growing a baby. Of course, you need more calories. Um, but I think what a lot of women don't realize is that you actually need more calories during breastfeeding on top of your normal calorie intake than you did when you were pregnant. So, hmm. um, the general recommendations for breastfeeding are about three to 500 calories more per day than what you would normally be eating if you weren't breastfeeding. So to use myself as an example, um, you know, I'm pretty active, but let's just pretend I'm not really active and I just <laughs> walk around. I, I don't do heavy weightlifting or anything like that. Um, so let's say I normally would need like 2,200 calories per day to maintain my weight, to keep my blood sugar steady, to keep my body happy. Um, if I was breastfeeding, I may need closer to 25 to 2,700 mm-hmm. calories in a day. So that that's like almost a whole nother meal for a lot yes. of women. So and I'm sure that many women hearing those numbers and they're used to the 1200 or maybe 1500 calories if, if they, you know, depending on what they're reading, but that number may seem like impossible <laughs> to get. Yeah. Well, and some women really follow their hunger cues, which is great. And they're going to be eating more. And, um, cause I know, you know, if you're needing 500 calories extra per day, your body usually signals for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but not every woman is going to have that hunger signal that they should be having. Again, stress can affect your appetite. So if you're under a lot of stress, you may not be feeling as hungry as you should. Um, and so when you're under eating and perhaps, you know, if somebody's on a paleo diet, they may not be eating that many carbohydrates, which are definitely required for producing breast milk. Um, breast milk is largely carbohydrate. And so your body uses a lot of glucose to produce uh, breast milk. And then add on top of that any sort of glucose that your own body needs to function. Um, A lot of women on a paleo diet may not be getting that carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And that can cause their blood sugar to kind of go all over the place. They'll have low blood sugar, maybe they'll have high blood sugar. Um, There's a lot of swings that happen. And that's a big stressor on the HPA axis. So Eating enough food and eating enough carbohydrates is huge for women that are breastfeeding. And even if you're not breastfeeding, if you're using formula, you want to make sure you're still eating enough. Um, you know, you won't need as much as a woman who is breastfeeding, but if you are significantly under eating all the time, that's a major stressor to your HPA axis. And it's one that I see in my patients very frequently. Mm-hmm. And then that's important too, because many people, I mean, many women uh, in the postpartum period want to get rid of the baby weight mm-hmm. and uh, they might be restricting, but it's not the time to restrict. It's the time to recover and, and just, you know, bond with the baby and, and, and the weight will come off in time, but that's not the priority right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to be adding more stress to your body than it already is dealing with. I mean, you're recovering from a pretty serious like birth, the birth process is a very serious physical situation. And then, um, you know, you're creating food for your baby using your body. So that's something that definitely has more stress to the body than, than if you weren't, um, you know, you almost have to look at breastfeeding as like a workout. If you're burning an extra three to 500 calories a day from breastfeeding, that's basically like going to the gym for an hour. So, um, And then some women like to exercise on top of that. So again, if I was exercising the amount that I am now and I was breastfeeding, I would Mm -hmm. really need to be eating almost 3,000 calories a day. So Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like so much because like you said, there's, there's so many messages out there for women that they should only eat. 
you know, 12 to 1500 calories a day. But that's honestly one of the biggest problems I see with my clients that are dealing with HPA axis dysfunction is they're not eating enough. They're not eating a lot of carbs. Um, and when I say a lot, I just mean they're not eating hardly any. They're not mm. um, eating much fruit or starch. They're they're thinking that things like broccoli and peppers <laughs> and stuff are going to be providing carbs to them. And, um, and I'm not saying nobody can do okay breastfeeding on a low-carb diet, but I just I don't feel comfortable recommending that to breastfeeding clients and I would much rather see someone on a, you know, 30, 40, even 50% of their car- calories coming from carbs if they are breastfeeding um their baby. So mm-hmm. that's very different than what a lot of the paleo books recommend as far as carb intake is concerned, but I'm I'm not sure I agree with a lot of the recommendations, <laughs> especially when we're looking at postpartum women. Yes, exactly. It doesn't apply to everyone. And I agree personally. I, uh, the, the few times where, when I haven't been eating enough carbohydrates, I didn't feel as great and, uh, my milk production definitely, uh, decreased. So I, 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 I see a really, uh, direct link with my milk supply and how good I feel. So do you have any, um, quick tips on how women can make sure they eat enough and, uh, and eat enough carbohydrates in particular? Yeah, well, I mean, I I would say assume if you're breastfeeding that you need at least 2,000 calories a day. That would probably be the absolute minimum that mm-hmm. you would need. Um, there's ways to figure out what ex- – I don't want to say exact because it is just an mm-hmm. estimate, but there are ways to estimate – how many calories you need on a daily basis. There's lots of calculators out there that you can use to get a good estimate. Um, again, you're going to want to add three to 500 calories on top of that minimum. If you're trying to lose a little bit of weight, you know, maybe you go closer to 300. If you don't really have weight to lose, then 500 is good. Um, that's not such a deficit that I'm worried about someone mm-hmm. being under too much stress, but this is they're still meant to be getting 300 calories per day more than what they'd need if they weren't breastfeeding. So that's very important to remember that you're not you're not on a weight loss diet for your your normal self. You need to think about okay, I need at least this much energy to feed my baby, and you know if I go a little bit less, then maybe I'll lose a little bit of weight quicker than if I didn't go less. But again, shouldn't be less than two or shouldn't be more than 200 calories Mm -hmm. deficit while you're breastfeeding. Um, And then as far as determining macronutrient ratios, like I said earlier, I like to see a range between usually about 30 to 50% of calories coming from carbohydrates in a postpartum woman who's breastfeeding. So um, basically, that's just a math equation where if you have, let's say you have 2000 calories as your needs, which again is probably low for most women, but it's just an easy number. Um, and you want to do 50% of that coming from carbohydrates. So you'd get a thousand calories coming from carbs. Each gram of carbohydrate has four calories in it. So that would bring you to about 250 grams of carbs for the day to get 50% of your calories on a 2000 calorie diet. So it's a lot of math. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not difficult, but it is sometimes a little confusing if someone doesn't have training in it. Like Aglae and I, as RDs, <laughs> we get trained how to do this kind of math. But it's... Um, Again, the the range 30 to 50% is going to kind of depend on different issues. So if somebody's a little bit insulin resistant, maybe they'll go a little lower. If somebody's very active, maybe they'll go higher. Um, you can also judge that how you feel. Like Aglae was saying, if, if she doesn't eat enough carbs, she doesn't feel so good and she eats more and she feels better. So that's a super simple way <laughs> to figure it out. Um, it doesn't have to be this crazy math equation. I just like giving people numbers to look at because it can help 
them make some better choices if they're paying attention. If they take a couple of days to just pay attention to what they're eating and try to get that amount of food, they can get a different sense of what they should be eating because if they were under eating, they might, they may not even realize they were. And then if they start to eat that much food, they'll say, Oh wow, I had no idea this was <laughs> how much food I was supposed to eat. And then they can start to stick to that level of food over the next few months or years, however long the breastfeeding is going to be happening. So, um, so I'd say, you know, figuring out what your basic needs are, adding three to 500 calories on top of that, and then figuring out where in that 30 to 50% of calories from carbs ratio works for you. Um, again, that's not a black and white rule. There may be some women that need to eat less or more than that, but I'd say that's a pretty good range to fall in if you're looking to get enough carbs to make breast milk without having major blood sugar issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that even though, you know, those numbers, I think are really good at giving people permission and just helping women understand that we do need a, a lot of calories and a lot of carbs, a lot more than we used to believe. And uh, just having that permission to eat more and uh, trying to find a, a level that works better for you. And, you know, clearly you don't have to count carbohydrates or calories, but, you know, hearing those numbers, ho hopefully uh, more women understand that that means they need a significant amount of a dense source of carbs at most mm -hmm. of their meals to get there. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at 200 grams of carbs a day, that's going to be at least four cups of something like white rice, white potatoes, sweet potatoes, <laughs> plantains, um, bananas, anything that's a starchier fruit or vegetable. So four cups is a decent amount. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're eating, th I would think most pregnant or I'm sorry, most breastfeeding women would need more than three meals a day. But let's say you're eating four meals a day. Each of those meals need to have a cup of some kind of starch in them. And that's on the lower end. 200 grams per day might not be enough for you. So um, don't be afraid to, to eat a lot of carbs. I think there's this um, underlying carbophobia in the paleo oh, yeah. community where I, I work with clients that they're so afraid to eat more than half a banana a day because <laughs> I think it's too much sugar. And it's just, it's crazy. It's it, Bananas are fine for you. I eat like three or four bananas in a day. It's <laughs> totally fine. So um, I just want women out there to realize carbs and sugar from fruit and that kind of stuff is not harmful. It's not going to cause you to get diabetes, um, especially if you're eating lots of healthy uh, proteins and fats and things like that from a normal paleo diet. It's perfectly reasonable to have a higher carb intake and it will really help you feel a lot better when you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And beyond also. Oh, of course. Well, I'm not breastfeeding and I eat like 40 to 50% of <laughs> carbs. So, you know, <laughs> not, not just when you're breastfeeding, but it certainly helps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So I love that. So we talked a bit about um, a diet. So the importance of not under eating and getting enough carbs. We talked about sleep and uh, lights, natural lights, artificial lights. Um, we talked about exercise, how it's important to not over exercise. Maybe uh, we, we, you talked a lot about stress, but are there any um, more practical tips that uh, we can try to add to our lives to, to, to just uh, support our adrenals and the whole AP, HPA axis better. Yeah. Well, when it comes to stress management, there's 
dozens of different approaches to reducing stress. So, um, and there's a lot of them that are actually shown in the research to have benefits in reducing cortisol. So it's not just lip service saying that these things are helpful. There's actually research to back these practices. So one that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of is meditation. Um, I think meditation for new moms probably sounds like a joke, but, <laughs> but Luckily, the research shows that it takes as little as 20 minutes a day for six weeks of meditation to have significant benefits in stress hormone production. So if you can find 20 minutes in the day, even if you can just find 10 to start with and work your way up to 20, it can be really helpful for reducing your stress response to things that are stressful. So, you know, kids are stressful, marriage is stressful, paying bills is stressful, all of that stuff your body will react less strongly to those if you're doing something like a meditation practice regularly. And again, it takes no more than 20 minutes a day to get the benefits. So you don't have to be sitting there for an hour meditating to get things, um, to get the good results from meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess it this, in this study, it was probably 20 minutes in, in, in all at once. But do you think there is benefit to doing five minutes here and there and add those up throughout the day? Yeah, well, I think... Uh, It's hard to it's hard to um, extrapolate mm -hmm. from a, a study. You, you, you're not able to get in the zone as much, but uh, I guess it helps. It's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my my fur baby, little... <laughs> Levi. <laughs> um, so what I was going to say is that the 20 minutes is is one that's been shown to have benefits, but I think anything is better than nothing. So if mm -hmm. you can only do five minutes a day, five minutes is better than zero minutes. 10 minutes is better than five minutes. Um, so I just want people to realize that they don't have to be doing this for a very long time. If you can find mm -hmm. 20 minutes, that's great. If you can only find 10, that's still good. It's great as well. I mean, I honestly, I don't want people to feel like if they can't meet the 20 minute recommendation that they should not even bother. Um, a lot of times with meditation, it's something that really takes some build up time. So maybe you can only do it for five minutes a day and that's the only thing that you can commit to. And it's fine. You Maybe you do that for a couple weeks. And then after a couple weeks, you say, okay, maybe I can do 10 minutes. Let's see how this goes. Set a timer for 10 minutes and see if you can do it. And then maybe after a couple weeks, you move to 15. And then, you know, maybe in a couple months total, you get to that 20 minutes a day. And honestly, I've had some clients really be very happy with the results that they've gotten from meditation. And um, I think having that improved stress response and feeling more calm and feeling more centered is a reward enough in itself for moms to want to keep doing it. Because, you know, if, if you get to take that 10 to 20 minutes of your day to really just center and decompress and relax and focus on your breathing and shut off the rest of the responsibilities that you have, it can really do a, a great deal of benefit to the way that you handle the rest of the, the crazy stressful day yes, that you're going to face. I so agree because, uh, yes, when you become a mom, your whole life is turned upside down and it seems like you never have more than two minutes uh, to yourself and you can't even think without being interrupted. So taking that time just for yourself is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard like to do, a, but important. Well, definitely. And it's if you can set aside five or ten minutes to do it and then the rest of the day will go better. Maybe you'll be more productive or you'll be less frazzled from all the stuff you have to take care of. So um, it's definitely a great way to train your brain to um, deal with the, the hecticness of a new baby or life with a family. Um, mm -hmm. So that way you're not stressing out over things that probably are not that 
important, you know, if you're being <laughs> objective about things, a lot of times we get very stressed over things that in the long run really don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, just maybe a quick word about supplements and herbs. Uh, we see so many different blends and uh, compounds and b- different supplements with the bottle saying that it's for adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many of these are contraindicated contraindicated for pregnancy or breastfeeding or uh, they might it might be a bit scary to take those uh, for many women out there so do you feel like those are essential to recover or prevent adrenal fatigue what's your take on that no so I don't think they're essential at all and I actually think people tend to I don't want to say abuse those supplements but they definitely get marketed. Well, these supplements are marketed as adrenal support when the person's cortisol function, if they don't know what that cortisol function is, then they may be taking the wrong Mm -hmm. formula. Um, And that's regardless of if you're breastfeeding or not. I see a lot of clients taking inappropriate adrenal support supplements that are actually making their symptoms worse because they don't even know what their cortisol levels are. Um, Now, when you're Breastfeeding, most of the formulas are going to be contraindicated. Anything that's herbal, um, adaptogens, those things are not things you'll want to be taking when you're breastfeeding because they can potentially get into the breast milk. I think most of them just don't have any data. So in the Mm -hmm. absence of data, we don't recommend people using them. Um, But if you're not breastfeeding and you were thinking of taking an adrenal support supplement, I usually don't recommend just grabbing something off the shelf at Whole Foods and taking it. Um, And that's because a lot of adrenal support supplements have things in them that affect your cortisol levels in your blood. So things like licorice or um, ashwagandha, that kind of stuff. And if you don't know what your cortisol levels are, then taking something like licorice, that might actually make things worse if you have high cortisol. So um, I don't usually recommend taking any sort of adrenal support off the shelf, especially things that contain herbal formulas or horm- added hormones or DHEA, that kind of stuff. Um, I When I work with my patients and our participants in our program, which is called Paleo Rehab Adrenal Fatigue, mm-hmm. we, we have them do something called a dried urine hormone test, or it's a Dutch test. And that will show what the person's cortisol levels are, what they're doing as far as metabolizing cortisol, if they're having a hard time converting cortisone into cortisol or vice versa. Um, And that information helps guide the supplement choice because, again, I've seen too many people taking adrenal support supplements that contain things in them that are actually exacerbating the problem. Mm. Um, I've even had clients that developed symptoms from taking these supplements, things like high blood pressure. Yeah, high (laughs) blood pressure or anxiety, things like that. So, um, you know, this is where working with someone one-on-one is really helpful. And, um, you know, if if you really focus on your diet and your sleep and your exercise and your stress management, and that is really well taken care of. A lot of times these supplements are not necessary. Um, what I like supplements for is that they can help get someone out of that hole of feeling really terrible. Um, I myself had a period of time where I was dealing with some hormonal dysfunction and feeling really exhausted and just uh, having a lot of uh, symptoms of hormonal imbalance like 
really bad PMS and things like that and um, irregular periods, that kind of thing. And so I worked with a naturopath and I was prescribed a variety of supplements, including um, topical progesterone. And I only used it for a couple months and it helped me get out of the hole. It helped mm-hmm. make my PMS go away and get my cycles regular again. Um, and so, you know, working one-on-one with someone and getting help in that area that is custom to what your needs are and what's appropriate for you can potentially help make the diet and lifestyle changes more effective. Um, but I, I think sometimes people just want to have like a magic bullet because mm-hmm. they can't meditate and they can't eat enough food or, you know, they don't get to go outside or they're not sleeping. So they just want to take a supplement to fix their symptoms. But honestly, the diet and lifestyle is, is much more important and it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's free because obviously food costs money, but it's basically a free way to fix your your adrenal function without having to buy supplements. Mm-hmm. I love that. So there's just so much we can do. It doesn't mean doesn't mean it's easy. And sometimes we would love to just have a, a pill that we could take that would do all of these things. But there's really no shortcut. Um, yeah. We have to do the work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just using myself as an example, I um I was watching too much TV. I think it was in February. And I was not <laughs> getting enough sleep. And I was wasn't waking up feeling refreshed. And um, I ended up deciding to just get rid of TV for I think I decided for 40 days I was going to stick to no TV. Oh. Um, and it made it's made a really big difference on my sleep quality and how rested I feel when I wake up. So I'm not saying that no TV ever is required, but mm-hmm. you just have to look at areas of your life where maybe you're not doing things as healthfully as you could and it's making things harder. So if you're staying up until 1 o'clock in the morning watching TV after a long day to decompress – yeah, I mean, it's nice to have something that is stress relieving or mindless like that, but you have to think about the consequences of that activity. Maybe it's making you not sleep so well. Maybe it's making you more tired in the morning and more cranky. Um, maybe you don't get as much done because you're tired and then you're up too late mm-hmm. trying to finish everything. So um, I like when I work with my clients, I really like to look at the whole lifestyle and say, okay, where are there some areas that we can make some changes that will make some of these other things easier because if you're really tired, maybe you aren't going to have the appetite to eat enough. Um, and so if you start sleeping better, maybe your appetite will come back and you'll be more interested in food. So there's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle here. And, um, you know, I like to look at it from a whole life approach because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, as much as I'm a dietitian and focus on diet, I can't fix bad sleep or too much exercise or circadian rhythm disruption with food. So um, I think that's really important to remember that you need to look at your entire life and not just look for that, that magic bullet diet or that magic bullet supplement that's going to make you feel better. Right. And you don't have to change everything at once. Just simple changes, if you're consistent with it, can be very powerful and impactful. Mm-hmm, definitely. Good. All right. So you mentioned your program, Paleo Rehab for Adrenal Fatigue. Can you tell us more about that, uh, what it is and where we can find it? Yeah, well, we're actually finishing up a launch as as we're <laughs> recording this podcast. So, um so we're not sure exactly when the next launch is going to be. We're thinking it will be at the end of 2016. We'll okay. see, but um and I guess the, there's probably a mailing list that we can join to yeah, stay well, tuned. Mm-hmm. 
The website is mypaleorehab.com. And if you sign up for the mailing list, you'll get a free 27-page ebook all about how to start healing from adrenal fatigue slash HPA axis dysfunction. And um, we have some tips in there, some of the stuff we already talked about today, but um, just some ideas of parts of your life that you might want to look at that could be contributing to these symptoms. Um and then the program itself is a five-week program that covers all of this in much more detail, and it also gives a lot of action steps for people to take. And it also provides um, discounts on the testing and the supplementation that we recommend if people want to get a little bit extra support on mm-hmm. top of the diet and lifestyle changes. So um, we're about to – well, I guess we're in our first week of this launch as far as the uh, students are going through Module mm-hmm. 1 right now. Mm-hmm. And um, we would love to have people join us next time we launch the program. That's great. I've had a look at the first version of the program and it was great and super well done. And I haven't seen the new revamped version, but for those mamas listening and interested in joining the next group, maybe towards the end of this year, I can only imagine that it's getting better and better and better. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we spent a lot of time upgrading the the program this year to meet the new testing guidelines that we've set. So this Dutch test is somewhat of a new Mm -hmm. test. And um, we had to really revamp the supplementation protocol to fit that test. So um, we're always looking for ways to optimize our clients' results. And luckily, the good news is if you sign up for the program at any point, you do have access to it for life as long as the program exists. So anyone who – like we had a beta group go through the program last year that paid like a hundred dollars to be a beta <laughs> testers and they they get access to these changes and people buying now will get access to changes that we make in the future if we make any so um so that's, that's a, a worthwhile benefit. investment <laughs> yeah yeah just because this information is always changing and updating and you know there's always new information that we come across that we want to add and make sure that people are getting the best information out there so um you know no no program is going to be perfect from the first day (laughs) of creation but we update it so that way you know you're getting the most um up-to-date information about adrenal function Mm -hmm. and you know it works because it's getting people results and helping them feel better so yeah i mean kelsey my my co my co work Creator, or yes, (laughs) Um, my co-creator Kelsey and I always use these principles in our own lives when we're dealing with some. Mm -hmm. Like right now, this launch is pretty (laughs) stressful, and there's certain things like you know making sure I'm eating regularly and changing to decaf coffee instead of regular coffee and things like that. That you know even. Even we sometimes make mistakes with our diet and lifestyle that make us feel worse. And um, I always use the principles of this program in my own life whenever I'm seeing some of my old symptoms crop back up. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it would honestly help anyone, even if they're not dealing with (laughs) adrenal fatigue, but that's who our primary audience is. If we can prevent it from appearing in the first place, that's that's even better. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And talking about that, I know that it's lunchtime for you on the East Coast and you haven't had lunch yet. So (laughs) I'll let you go. But thank you so much for coming on the show today and explaining it super well so we can understand what it is and especially uh, better know the different strategies that we can implement in our lives to feel better. Yeah, well, I had a great time. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. So this is it. Please remember that the views on this podcast and website are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. 
And thank you for listening to Real Food Mamas. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast to help us spread the real food word. We also invite you to visit our website, realfoodmamaspodcast.com, and our new Facebook page, Real Food Mamas, to find past episodes, leave comments, and ask questions for future shows. Remember, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture you and your family.